0: Today, we have Jennifer. Jennifer has gone from a Buddhist to being in a monastery, on track to becoming a nun, and is now a wife and mother with a support group for women revolving around addiction to porn. Jennifer, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Where did your love for God begin?
2: Really, really early on, I have three really poignant first memories. Interestingly enough, they center around my father. I remember being with my dad, and he had this desk lamp, and he had a rosary hanging from it, and for whatever reason, it caught my eye, and it intrigued me, and I asked him what that was, and he explained that it was a rosary, and that it was something that some people used to pray with, so I remember getting really excited, and like, cool, like, how's it work? Like, teach me, and he said, well, actually, I really don't know, but if you want, we can explore our Catholic heritage, and I can put you in catechism, and we can go to Mass, so kind of the first step was going to a Christmas mass. I remember, so I have one younger brother, and I remember my younger brother was so mad at me, because we usually open presents on Christmas Eve. And so here we had to wait till midnight to go to mass, and then we weren't going to open a present until we got back. I remember even my mom was a little perturbed, like, oh my gosh, it's so late. Yeah, we're Catholic, and I didn't even know what that meant. And I just remember it was candlelit, and it was dark, and it was just beautiful. Like it just really sparked something in me. So he put me in catechism and I loved it.
0: What is catechism?
2: The beginning instruction for kids, like learning what it is the faith teaches. So you go um, probably a couple of days a week after school or something. So I was about eight and I remember they got to the part about heaven and hell and I was really disturbed. Like, what is this concept of hell and how could people be there if God is good? I was talking to my mom about it and I think she urged me to speak with the nun that was teaching our class. And so I eventually did. She said, well, if heaven and hell is a choice, how many people do you think choose to go to hell? And I was like, oh yeah, totally no one. There's no one in hell. Cool. Done. We're done. This is great. But at that point, I think my mom had already seen me struggling too much. She had decided that it was just too heavy for me, and she pulled me out. I was upset about it, and I wasn't understanding. And I remember my dad was in the car talking to me, and he said, you know, your relationship with God is is that. It's a relationship. He's a person. So you can talk to him whenever you want. Your mom and I don't want to push a certain viewpoint on you. and We really want you to discover what that is for yourself. So I really took that to heart and I started talking to him. At some point down the road, I was feeling really upset about something and I was talking to him about, you know, whatever I was upset about. It. But I looked down at that moment that I was talking to him and I noticed this little white flower that I'd never noticed before. And it had all these little leaves that were shaped like hearts. In that moment, when I saw those hearts, I just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is real. He's listening to me. He loves me and everything's going to be okay. It's just been a lifelong journey of chasing after him, I guess I would say. My goodness, when I was 13, my parents got divorced and I I found this book on white witchcraft and I started studying that and then kind of abandoned
0: that. Talk to me more about white witchcraft. That's interesting.
2: Well, I think when my parents divorcing, my whole world was out of control.
0: Somehow I stumbled on this book that
2: promised me complete control. And so I think that's what was appealing to me about it. What did you try to do with that control? I was kind of scared to actually have that control. I think it was appealing to me. And I don't even remember what it was for. I mean, I feel like we didn't actually do it. Or what I do remember was I was so anxious the whole time. Something just didn't feel right. I think when I read that book, I mean, God is God. So he was still speaking to me in it about himself. God was still showing me I love you and I'm here.
0: You went from learning about heaven and hell and being on the Catholic (laughs) program to witchcraft and incorporating God into that. Like, that's really interesting. I do not know anyone who has ever spent two years in a monastery. I want to know what that was like. It was so beautiful and
2: so hard. It was wonderful. So it was a cloistered monastery, which means that these particular sisters, we did not have any sort of external apostolates. So there was no teaching kids in school. There's no, you know, feeding the homeless. There's no hospital Ministry, the sole ministry is prayer. So we would just stay there on the grounds as in the middle of the desert in Arizona. We had this beautiful, beautiful chapel. They're actually still building.
0: Yeah. What was a day in the life of living in the monastery? You would wake up and it's silent. You don't talk to each other until dinner time
2: or unless you have an important question. The battles that you wage with yourself when you can't talk to anyone else, uh, revealed so much insecurity. I think my first couple weeks, the only thing I could do was worry about what they thought about me. You have your own little room, which is called a cell, which is short for celli, which is Latin for heaven. You go in the kitchen and you can get yourself coffee, a little snack, and then you go back to your cell for about an hour and a half reading in the morning, spiritual reading. and That was my favorite part of the day. And then you would go over to the chapel. Together you would all pray a series of prayers prayers together. Do you remember any of it? I actually still have some of the books. Every priest in the Catholic Church and every religious sister and every religious brother, they pray them. That's part of the kind of the vows they take is that they'll pray those every day. Every day you'd get your assignment what hour you were going to be in the chapel. The only time we watched TV was together on Sundays, we would do a movie. And then there was a lot of work just reaching out to the people who were donating.
0: What were the conversations
2: like? It was a total mix. Sometimes they talk about the news, I would never get to watch the news or read the the news. our mother superior, she would read the news, so she would tell us the news. I wonder
0: what she thinks of the news now.
2: Oh my goodness, I have been thinking about them so much. Was there ever any juicy stories that were told? Not really. I mean, sometimes I'd get some stories from like their past that were surprising. Like, oh, well, yeah, you were a real person. You were a real teenager
0: with like teenage stories, just like the rest of us. What made them want to be a nun?
2: Well, I think for all of them, it was different. Maybe the common thread is just service, like loving God and wanting to be of service
0: were you thinking at one point that you wanted to be a nun definitely I had gotten rid of most of my stuff I was surprised that I didn't stay what was that
2: departure like it was really hard it felt like a breakup honestly the way the monastery is you know you don't share a whole lot of your inner life with each other and that was one thing that really bothered me I just yearned for that so badly
0: what was your interview like in choosing a monastery my best friend
2: at the time I told her I kind of
0: had this idea and she was like, I'm going to go with you.
2: Beautiful soul, my best, best friend in the whole world. She actually passed away when I was in the monastery.
0: Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That's really hard. It was part of why I realized I didn't belong there. Why can't you have outside communications and friendships. I don't get that part. I mean, you can have
2: friendships, they're just like a lot more distant,
0: like through letters, maybe once a year,
2: like the really, really close ones can visit. It's a structure that's been in place forever. But the whole idea of the monastery is, and the cloister in particular, is that you are 100% totally fully immersed in God.
0: Did you have to dress a certain way? Yeah.
2: So my first year, you wear a like a modified habit. It was just a long, simple brown dress. But then the start of your second year, you get the habit. Honestly, I loved the habit. I miss the habit so much. And you felt like it felt right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love the veil. Did
0: you ever talk about sex?
1: No.
2: I thought about it, but we didn't have discussions about it. I struggled because I struggled with thoughts of, do I want to be married? Like about four months in is when I really started struggling. But I actually
0: stayed for two years
2: because I felt like God was still calling me to be there, to experience something, to learn something, to heal. He did so much healing in my heart.
0: What were you healing from the most?
2: One of the biggest things was codependency my family, on one hand, they really encouraged us to be individuals. When it came down to like our actual family unit, we really weren't supposed to have ideas that were different from our parents. Like I had that monastic spirit, I think as a kid, my dad, he had a pretty tumultuous childhood. And so
0: yeah, in a lot of ways, my husband is kind of that rebel that my dad was. What happened between you and your father that you guys became estranged?
2: I think all of us have certain wounds just from growing up, you know, just from living in this world. broken. So, you know, I had my particular wounds, not feeling like I could speak up, not feeling like I could be myself, feeling like shy and mousy. I always had this feeling so shy. And I just had this feeling forever that I was like locked inside myself. Like I knew I was in there. So in my 20s, I started going to therapy and started to uncover some stuff from my childhood. During that process read this book I wish I had found some other advice but the advice in that book was if you're having some difficulty with your parents you should distance yourself from your parents for a while so I wrote this big dramatic letter and I told my entire family don't talk to me for a while I'm going to therapy any healing I I just I can't be around you I can't talk to you I need to figure out who I am I wish somebody could have showed me in a better way because it damaged my relationship with my father
0: forever that's crazy that one letter you can't come back from. How old were you? I think I was maybe 26. So that was a while after the divorce. Oh, yeah. Where do you think that stemmed from? I think it was just because
2: I had always tried to be the good girl growing up. And I never made waves and I never talked about what was upsetting to me. Yeah, I just felt like I was, I always kind of had this mask on. I mean, I think the psychological terminology is being autonomous, like
0: finding your own autonomy, individualization. After you wrote the letter, is that when you decided to explore Buddhism? I don't know. I
2: think I've always been a seeker and it's
0: always been
2: looking into this, looking into that, always reading books on spirituality or in my 20s. It was my early, early 20s. I was actually exploring Christianity and going to a different church every Sunday and every Wednesday. I don't even know how I can tell you I got into Buddhism. I think it was just some of those concepts. Then I found David Data was kind of the big shift. I think his teaching sort of transcends that as well. He's like an intimacy, relational, like sexual, he would call it sexual yoga, I guess. It's energy. So that's what I was exploring right before I became Christian and Catholic, actually.
0: You were exploring that, and then decided you were willing to give that up to possibly become a nun. Yeah,
2: so I was really into that. It was that that kind of reset sparked kind of what I had when I was eight, when I had that experience. It just kind of started to feel more like, you know, I really want to know who you are, God. Like, I really want a daily practice with you. You know, I'm kind of tired of, you know, reading this book and that book and piecing all these things together. Like, I want something solid. I was walking one day in my neighborhood and I noticed there was a Catholic church and it said, you know, daily mass, the doors were wide open. And I thought, oh, and I was just finding that it just brought me such Peace. everything kind of started coming together and all of a sudden it was the end of those three months and I realized wait a minute I asked you to show me who you were and I was hardcore solidly going down this Buddhist track and now all of a sudden I'm in a Catholic church I'm going a Catholic mass
0: every day I think you answered my question you're not doing that now mm-hmm. so how did you get from yeah this is what I want to do to checking out a guy in an Indian restaurant isn't God amazing <laughs> he writes straight with our crooked lines for sure I
2: think it was about four Four months into to being at the monastery that I really felt like, oh, I really miss the outside world. I really want to evangelize. The way it works, you commit in certain chunks. So first it was a week retreat, then it was three months, and then the next is a year. So I had committed to a year. My best friend was pregnant. She had to go to the hospital. She was having complications. She had preeclampsia. She had to deliver early. It just wiped her out. I mean, they don't even, they can't even say what ultimately took her life. But in about, it took about a month, she died. This is a friend I had since kindergarten and she knew me better than anybody on this planet. As ever or probably will ever know me I'm gonna see her again she's alive she's not dead she's so happy she's with Jesus it also triggered a like wow I missed her marriage I missed her whole pregnancy my brother actually got sick he had some pretty serious liver issues and they thought he might die and that's when I really said well, okay wait a minute people are dying out there I can't be separated from everyone I love
0: I left so happy with such a song in my heart. So you're starting a group for women whose husbands or partners are addicted to porn. Tell me more about that.
2: Here's the thing I wanted to do for God. It's finally here. I want to do this thing for him. And it's finally clear what it
0: is. It's very unconventional. <laughs> yes. And what would your monastery sisters think? I don't know. I think that they recognize porn is a huge problem in the world. How did you discover that he had a problem with porn? I knew really early on. He still doesn't
2: understand why it bothers me so much. He's learning though, I think. The big thing I'd always do is
0: try to shame him and that's never helpful. And he doesn't want to cause you pain. Exactly. Does he believe in God like you do? He does, but I wouldn't say like I do. Why do you think he does the porn?
2: Honestly, I think it's habit, but I think there is like a deep shame and insecurity that he's not wanting to deal with. Part of me developing this program was seeing like something's off here. Like we're not supporting each other in the way we need to be. I think women have a lot more power to
0: change the situation and shift it than we realize. What changes has your husband made? My husband worked so hard to try to make me happy.
2: He also has struggled with marijuana. I mean, for him, it's a definite addiction all day, every day. And he has worked really, really hard on that to get it under control. He's definitely on the journey. I mean, he can do it because he understands it's important to me. Ultimately, we're only in charge of ourselves. How did you guys meet? I was working at an Indian restaurant as a waitress, and he was a cook there. I don't know what it was. As soon as I saw him, I was smitten.
0: Did you uh, feel a moment of God right then? You know what? Looking back, it is. Okay. So from that moment of being like him, then how did that happen? So we started
2: talking and he asked about, you know, if I was single. I said,
0: yeah. And, oh, yeah. What about you? And
2: he said, oh, yeah, I'm recently divorced. And I was like, well, really? That very day he asked for my
0: number. Did you tell him that you were like fresh out of a monastery? Yes. Yeah. He was just kind of amused by it and intrigued. I think part of him, honestly, probably thought it was like a great challenge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's been wonderful. I love your story. I love how open you are. Not everyone is so willing to open up and share like that. So thank you. You're very welcome. I don't know why I've been like that my whole life. And I just,
2: I love to do it. We think we're alone, but I know that so much of my story is someone
0: else's story too. So thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait for my dad's response. Here we go.
1: What's interesting is that she's really giving you her understanding of what she needed. I don't think it fully blended with what really goes on there. I think what she was searching for, she had a curiosity about God. I think all of us do. As you know, your father has a very special relationship with God. The moral of the story right from the beginning is having a deep yearning to know where we came from and to understand the ultimate being. I think God has put us here on this earth. It's not to just have a strong relationship with God, but he wants people to have a relationship with each other as well. It's a dual purpose this young lady found that out. The irony here is also that her father, who has many differences from her mother and where their relationship broke down, and yet she chose someone that she met in a restaurant that is also with a lot of different uh, opposites of her, and yet she's trying to reach out to him and try to satisfy her own personal needs and wanting to create a family. And yet, at the same time, the challenge of improving not only herself, but her husband as well, who has definitely has some issues. I hope that that relationship works out and that she's able to develop her own self as well as see her husband also take the challenge of improving himself where they can do it together.
0: She was willing and struggled to have very little communication with the outside world for two years.
1: Isn't that crazy? And yet some of us sometimes will just want to go to our room or take a hike or take a walk around the block, sort things out. And yet other people find that that's not the answer, that they need something to be away from people for an extended period of time to really figure things out. Time element in our lives is a lot different for certain people. The funny part is, is that as you live your life, I just turned 64 years old and to think that certain things that I recall and remember that are from 40 or 50 years ago also feel like it was just a week or two ago. Time plays tricks on all of us.
0: Addiction comes in many forms and is a real illness. If you are suffering from an addiction or know someone that needs help, please go to BetterCallDaddy.com for more information i want to tell you about umap a program that shows people who they are and how they'll be most successful not only did it win the 2020 career innovators award from career directors international but hundred percent of umap certified coaches recommend the program let's hear from this week's coach lila smith
2: i'm a communication coach with my own methodology i still got certified as a umap coach because it's like a fast forward to results my clients think i'm a mind reader because i can tell them exactly why they have the communication challenges that they do and how to work around
0: them but i'm not a mind reader i'm a umap reader i fully endorse this tool and certification program so check out myumap.com that's m-y-y-o-u-m-a-p.com now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.